Man, we gotta start using Apple Cash. Okay, why? It's so easy and convenient. Apple Cash lives in messages. All right. So I can pay you in the convos we're already having. Not forget a payment or have money sitting somewhere just collecting dust. Oh, that is nice. And then you can use that cash right away and buy stuff like at a store with Apple Pay. I don't have to do all that bank transfer stuff. Nope. It's just right there. Easy, convenient, and secure. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? See how easy that was? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Kim Crawford invites you to savor amazing with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. Named in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list four times. Every sip of Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc is filled with tropical fruit flavors like passion fruit and citrus to help you experience golden hour how you see fit. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more and find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So, Annie, I know who your favorite band was, which is Green Day. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite album of all time? Or even to this day? Oh, no. No, 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 no. I can't do that. Um, Why? (laughs) That's a huge question. I I do. I was hoping it was going to be embarrassing and not necessarily a huge question, but okay. No, I do have a list of my 10 like favorite movies, books, just for these kinds of things. And I have music on there and have songs on there but I'd have to consult it and I need to update it because it's been a minute. (laughs) I can tell you my favorite Green Day album was American Idiot because that was like prime. It came out at the right time for me. Uh, And I, I loved it. Is that an album that you consistently, like what is your most placed album currently? Oh, I want to check now. I have no idea. And I, Oh, I get a lot of flack about this, but I don't use a lot of the popular streaming music Mm -hmm. um, platforms. And so I listen to music. Not even (laughs) iHeart? Of course I do. (laughs) Of course. But when that doesn't happen, for whatever reason, I use like, gosh, I use, I haven't updated it, so it's still actually iTunes. It's not Apple. And then... I use YouTube music. I used to use Google Play. Like, I use oh, yeah, really yeah. obscure t- kinds of things. So it, I don't think there's an accurate count anywhere because I listen all over the place. I know for a long time, the top played song was this... <laughs> it's from Mass Effect 3. <laughs> it was the opening credit song. And I played it on repeat for an entire day when I moved and I was being the most dramatic and most emo you could ever imagine. That is delightful. Yeah, so it's a bunch of, 
I think it would be a bunch of random songs from movies that had some emotional impact for me. And so every time I listen to it, it brings me back to that emotional scene or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, my favorite. So I call it Some Kind of Blue for the longest Uh time. I was like, I don't know why, but it's just kind of blue. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, one of my favorite albums and that I've had to buy repeatedly because mm-hmm. I had the CD for it uh, for a while and I had the like the re-deluxe uh, mix was Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, probably my favorite album to date. And I have listened to it for over 25 years after I discovered it. Uh, and it's, it puts me in a specific mood, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of smooth eeriness to it that I love and I know the uh transformation and his growth in his music is so phenomenal but that is one of my favorite albums I'm a huge fan of real this is kind of in my musical days Mm-hmm. Because I really, really also love Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong's uh, collabs. For some reason, those are my favorite songs. And I really, like, it just makes me happy when I mm-hmm. hear them singing silly songs like Starry Night. And all of those are just like, oh, mm-hmm. I want to dance to this. Even though, like, watching them sing is just them singing at each other with big smiles on their face. I love it. Mm-hmm. But stuff like that, like so reminiscent to me of like the musicals and just like feeling something but feeling happy yeah. but then then having this some kind of blue like the depth of like remembering and the depth of uh his music that had pain but joy but growth like all of that and while we were watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom it really put me in that same mood of course the whole movie in itself was just like, oh, like a gut mm-hmm. punch anyway. But because we watched that, and after we watched that, we were like, um, we need to talk more about these amazing women of the blues. Mm-hmm. And so today, that's what made me think about it. Because I definitely had a moment of like, I need to listen to Miles Davis today. I need to listen to Ella Fitzgerald, whom I love. I need to keep listening to Etta James. Like, obviously, these are the names that we know. But... For today, we wanted to kind of go back uh, a little further, a little beginning, and the and kind of the beginning of women in blues and and who they were and what they did and why we should continue to say their name in the history of them so they don't get erased. Which is that conversation about Ma Rainey? It took a long time for people to really recognize who she was because Bessie Smith. It was a big time for women in the blues when Ma Rainey came through. Bessie mm-hmm. Smith got a lot of credit, and then later on, we know like Ella Fitzgerald, as we said, Billie Holiday. All of them had a lot more um, backing and publicity. I think is the way I would say it today. We wanted to talk about these amazing women and about the history of the blues. But yeah, before we start, let's talk about that history. Much like most of the music in the United States, blues began and was created by the enslaved Black community. We know if we look back at all the music and trace it all the way back, the Black community probably is the one that we should be thankful to. (laughs) And it's no surprise here. In the early 19th century, they think was the one that it kind of heightened. We know that gospel and the blues all kind of sound similar uh, in that what they were doing, what they were speaking. And then, of course, jazz came along with that. As one article writes, the foundation of the blues is a combination of, quote, religious spirituals and African styles. And later, that would be combined with folk music known 
for us as country blues, which is typically a solo singer with a guitar or a piano, such as that of Robert Johnson. Um, and Robert Johnson is also the one that has that legend of uh, selling his soul for his gift in music. So he is kind of that crux. So everything, if you listen to his, which is, by the way, phenomenal. And there's a lot of mystery behind him. So if you love any kind of historical context in musicians, there's a lot of mystery. Like he just kind of came out of nowhere and was this talented musician. The way people tell it is that he never played guitar. One day picked it up, made a deal with the devil, and became one of the best musicians. And a lot of his songs includes The Crossroads, uh, yeah. Name Devil, like all of those. So he mm -hmm. definitely has kind of pioneered some of that sound. Um, and then there is the Delta Blues, which originated from the Mississippi Delta around the early 1900s, uh, but got big attraction in the 1920s. Also, you need to understand... This is probably one of the worst areas technically in history and the treatment of the enslaved community. And so there was a lot of conversation about how that music was formed and how deep and how soulful it was. And again, different places, different where. This is one of those hard things that we know when a community is not treated properly and or ignored, most likely we're not going to get the in-depth history or typically anything written about it. So what we have is a lot of different uh, sources letting us know what's happening and who did what. But the Delta Blues kind of came from it, that type of uh, background. The Delta Blues is, quote, uh, traditional songs handed down by word of mouth and old lyrics, which was recreated into a different adaptation and is often accompanied by a guitar and harmonica. Uh, quote, the style is very rhythmic, has strong vocals and simple but powerful lyrics and slide guitar featured prominently in the music. So yeah, you definitely can hear the twang of the guitar. I think this also goes in that country blues. Kind of also could look at it with the whole uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is still very whitewashed, but it does have kind of the legend of Robert Johnson in there, by the way. That was based on him. Uh, and according to one of the articles, the style of blues typically follows like this. Uh, have four beasts in a bar, are built on the 12-bar blues form, and uses three four-bar phrases. So they have three-line verse structures where the second line repeats the first, for example, A-A-B. And sometimes singers improvise the words. The repetition of the first line gives them time to think up the third line. So definitely kind of like jazz in that it's from the heart. <laughs> and you feel it and you go with it which is also why kind of like rhythm maybe one community is better than the other <laughs> okay snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over six million active hourly workers Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, 
where America goes to hire. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories. No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. So now that we got the history of that, uh, let's talk about some of these legendary women. Yes, and let us start with Ma Rainey herself. Um, so we did we talked about her a bit in our Feminist Movie Friday episode on the, the movie Ma Rainey's Black Bottom which was adapted from a 1982 play. So if you've missed that episode, you can go check it out. But, all right, Ma Rainey was often referred to as the mother of the blues. Born Gertrude Melissa Nix Pridgett from Columbus, Georgia. Both of her parents were performers, excuse me. (laughs) Um, And it didn't take her long to start displaying her own talents as a singer, as a teenager. Her debut performance was at the Springer Opera House in Columbus, um, and she soon started traveling and performing vaudeville acts. It was during one of her performance circuits she met her husband, Will Pa Rainey, who was a comedian and singer as well. Soon they were married and partnered to form a double act, Ma and Pa Rainey. They traveled and performed together for for several years, but soon would separate, and she created her own show, Madame Gertrude Ma Rainey and her Georgia Smart Set. Soon she would start bringing in these large crowds and adoring fans to shows she starred in across the country with songs like I Ain't Got Nobody, A Good Man Is Hard to Find, and CC Writer Blues. And she signed a recording contract with Paramount Records in 1923. So this is sort of where the movie saw a lot of that going on. She recorded almost 100 records between 1923 and 1928. And just throughout the catalog, she had so many hits. And when it came to her song, she had a unique style. Uh, One article says of her style, Rainey's songwriting was notable for its raw depiction of life from the perspective of a woman struggling with heartbreak, depression, and other maladies. But amidst these difficulties, Rainey's protagonist did not rely on male partners or submit to the rules society tried to inflict on them. In the song, Oh Papa Blues, Rainey tells of the wrongs a former lover committed against her, but her lamentation soon turns to scheming for revenge. In Prove It On Me Blues, Rainey boasts about her attraction to women and wearing men's clothing. As scholar and activist Angela Davis wrote, the women in Rainey's songs, quote, explicitly celebrate their right to conduct themselves as expansively and even as undesirably as men. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though she lived in Chicago during the 20s and early 30s, uh, Rainey soon left after she was no longer contracted with Paramount and traveled to continue touring and performing, but soon returned home after the death of her sister and mother to Columbus, Georgia. She was active in church and even owned and managed two theaters until she died at the age of 53 of heart disease. Right. So there are two people on our list that have were openly uh, queer, and she was, was one of those, and I, we love that story. As well as the fact that we know she's just an amazing woman who stood her ground, and we love this. Mm-hmm. And while Ma Rainey was the mother of the blues, Mamie Smith, who we're going to talk about next, was considered the queen of the blues. So Mamie Smith became the first black singer to record a song and the first person to record the blues in 1920 in New York City. And that song was Crazy Blues. Not much is known about Mamie Smith's past, but many believe she was born Mamie Robinson in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she started performing at the age of 10, dancing and touring with four dancing Mitchells. Uh, Soon she would star in the musical review Made in Harlem, produced by Perry Bradford. And Bradford signed with General Phonograph, wanting to record some of his songs, and he and Smith would record several songs together, which would be considered successful. Many recording companies follow suit because of this album, signing other women blues singers, creating the new, quote, race records market, which we kind of talked about a little bit in Ma Rainey because it was all the hits, so they were trying to bring in as many blues singers as they could, uh, sounding like... Mamie Smith, Ma Rainey, Bessie Smith, who we're talking about in just a few minutes. But yeah, many credit Mamie Smith and Perry Bradford for the beginning of the women in the blues singing and the success. Yeah, Smith was successful in her career and would go on to record more records, toured with the Jazz Hounds, performing in New York theaters, and even appeared in films in the 1940s. And Smith continued to work until she died in Harlem in 1946. Yes. And... Now we move on to a different Smith, Bessie Smith, yes. Yes. Who was considered the empress of the blues. I like this. We got a queen. Yes. We got the mother. We've got the empress. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, there's another one that we're not going to talk about who was the uncrowned oh. queen mm. of the blues. So I was like, what does that mean? Oh, well, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. It's like a superhero team of musicians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bessie Smith was known for her powerful voice very full of soul. She signed a contract with Columbia Records in 1923 and became one of the highest paid black performers of her time. Smith was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1824. After both of her parents' deaths, she was given to the care of her aunt along with her remaining siblings. Um, And it was during this time she began to perform uh, first street performances with her younger brother playing guitar, but soon she performed as a dancer in the Moses Stokes Minstrel Show and later on the Rabbit Foot Minstrels, which is where she met Ma Rainey. Right, which is where they were rumored to have like Ma Rainey may have mentored her. Some people say mm-hmm. that's a strong word for what it was, but mm. they were definitely associated. And it looks like, uh, it, not surprisingly, because they were all in Chicago or Harlem at one point in time, a lot of them interacted together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Soon, Bessie Smith was discovered uh, and was signed to Columbia Records where she would record the hit Downhearted Blues. She was a success not only touring all over, but um, was able to buy her own custom railroad car to travel and sleep in. That's pretty cool. I wonder how much that would cost. Another thing to add to my (laughs) middle-age crisis list. Can I buy a railroad car? Keep going. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Um, and though Bessie Smith would go through some hardships in her career um, and even changed her style as the times changed too, she continued uh, in her career and touring up until the day she tragically died. On her way to a show in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, yeah, she uh, died in a vehicle accident at the age of 43. But uh, her impact in the world of blues is undeniable, it's obvious, and it influenced so many artists, including our next one, Billie Holiday. Right, and Billie Holiday, born Eleanora Fagan, is one of the most iconic singers in the jazz blues world. Well, in the world of music altogether. And her legend goes beyond just her talent. And we thought it was really important to bring her into this too because she did some things that went a little beyond uh, just making records. Not that not all of them did because they made significant impact. But literally, uh, she defied the United States government. Holiday dared to sing when she was barred by the FBI and by the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, whose leadership at the time was willing to set her up in order to shut her down. So, like, all these conspiracy things. And not just any song, but a song that is famous to this day in its depiction of the horrors of the lynchings of the Black community during the Jim Crow era, the song Strange Fruit, which was originally written as a poem titled Bitter Fruit, written by Abel Mirapol in 1937, after which his wife wrote it as a song and hearing it at union rallies, including in Madison Square Garden. It was brought to Holiday, who felt a personal connection to the song due to her father's own death after the hospitals refused to treat him uh, because of his race. And she first sang the song in the dark room at the end of her show at the New York's uh, New York Cafe Society in 1939. And yeah, it caused a lot, a lot of conversation and a little bit of controversy. And it was so controversial that her record company, Columbia Records, would not produce it. Uh, but she finally did through an independent label, the Commodore Records. And many, including those from the Black community, felt it was too controversial to play at that time. Um, but she did. Uh, and her legacy and her voice powering the song that really just still haunts. The first time I heard it, I think I, I literally had to stand still listening to the lyrics because I was like, wow, uh, her voice is beyond haunting. And we all know her voice. She has a very unique voice. And it, like, yeah, like I said, it, people who are still listening today have this picture from the lyrics that is painted, uh, which implies this beautiful day. Uh, that turns into a day of nightmares and horrific tragedy. I mean, we could talk about the history of this. I, we kind of mentioned about the anti-lynching bill, which just passed uh, with this song happening in 1939. Uh, but with that, yeah, she stood up and she did it and she continued to do it even after she was told not to. Uh, and she signed again with Columbia Records in 1958, after which she was previously on Clef Verb label, which uh, she made about 100 new records and redefined herself as the, quote, torch singer and I hear it, with her iconic voice. Her later recordings, including her masterpiece, Lady in Satin, and her final album was released after her death, which she recorded in 1959. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories. No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Now let's talk about Big Mama Thornton. Willie Mae Thornton, or Big Mama Thornton, was born in December 1926 in Ariton, Alabama. I hope I'm not butchering that pronunciation. After the death of her mother when she was 14, Thornton left to start her career and joined the Hot Harlem Revue from Georgia. She was a singer, a drummer, and harmonica player and traveled with the Revue for seven years. In 1948, Thornton moved to Houston, Texas, where she started her recording career. Thornton signed on to Peacock Records in 1951. There, she would travel with Johnny Otis and a few others performing different shows like the Houston's Bronze Peacock and at the Harlem's Cotton Club. Um, And it was during this time she wrote and recorded one of her most popular songs, Hound Dog, Mm -hmm. which was released by Peacock in 1953. And it topped the charts. It sold over 2 million copies. And yes, uh, this song would be recorded by Elvis Presley in 1956. And while this catapulted his career in success, Thornton only received about $500 for it. Right. Mm. I'm assuming that's a pretty good bit in the 1950s, but still nowhere near what she deserved. <laughs> yeah, and what he was getting, for sure. Right. But she continued to tour and record throughout her life, including performing in 1983 along with Muddy Waters, B.B. King, and Lloyd Glenn. Right. All right, let's talk about Lizzie Miles. So Lizzie Miles was born in New Orleans on Bourbon Street in 1895, and she started singing as a teenager with the neighborhood jazz bands. Uh, She worked in Southern Circuits and different shows until she moved to Chicago in the early 20s, performing with different bands like the Elgar's Creole Orchestra and King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band. So yes, this is all during the Great Migration that we talked about uh, in in our uh, 
movie episode. And she soon moved to New York after where she started her recording career and she would continue to work clubs and cabarets and would even go on tour in Europe and Paris. Her style was unique. She was nicknamed the Creole Songbird. She was attributed with Afro-Creole blues. So it's very specific. Um, and her style of performing was very specific. And she was able to record her work after signing with Oki Record in 1922 and continued to do so, making almost 70 records. Um, and she would even record under pseudonyms on smaller labels. So she kept recording and changed her name around just to do her thing. Mm -hmm. And like the other blues and jazz artists of her time, she also hit hard times due to the depression as well as the declining interest in the blues. But there was a resurgence in her career in the 50s. So she went on to sign on to another label at that time with Cook Records and record three more albums. And she she even performed in one less festival before her retirement. Wow. Very prolific. Now let's talk about Lil Green, born Lillian Green in Mississippi in 1919. Uh, and like many others on this list, was heavily influenced by gospel music and her religious family. Uh, and she was first discovered in her church choir. Uh, her and her family moved to Chicago in the 30s, where she started to sing in local clubs and was discovered by a producer at Bluebird Records. And she was a favorite at the Apollo in Harlem and would often tour with bands such as Big Bill Brunzi and the Benny Goodman's Orchestra. She was soon assigned onto a record company where she made two hits, including her sultry rendition of Why Don't You Do Right? Yeah, this is the version I know before I knew the Jessica Rabbit bit, but Jessica Rabbit bit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Okay. Brought it back in the 80s. Uh, and everybody's like, what? What is this song? And then I was like, but I know this song. And if you listen, and you can actually go listen to it today on YouTube or anything, fantastic. Like, it okay. is very, you know it immediately when you hear it. Okay. Definitely going to have to check that out then. Because I, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I saw it once and it scared me as a kid and ever again. So I don't remember yeah, this Christopher moment. Lloyd's character is awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> so Green continued to tour and perform up until her death at the age of 35 from pneumonia. Yeah. Uh, then we have Sister Rosetta Tharp. And yes, the list could be so much bigger, but we had to talk about the godmother of rock and roll, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Uh, she was originally known as the creator of pop gospel, and her image is a powerhouse for guitarists, uh, which still electrifies many who watch her performance. Uh, I see clips of her performing in front of the choir all the time in so many uh, replications of what the U.S. used to be. It literally is like, look how amazing the music is, and she was one of the prime examples. And though she is heavily associated with rock and roll and gospel, her love and her influence in the blues world is significant. And also, she's one of the ones that was actually out and queer, having a relationship with a woman um, and, and, like, really showing love to her uh, girlfriend at the time. But it was very unique to see, obviously, in the 50s and all of that. But born in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, Tharp learned and mastered the guitar at the age of six and often seen with her mother, who was known as Mother Bell, whether it was at church or later could be seen on the street corner preaching 
in Chicago, and though she did get married, it was her and her mother who moved to New York, where Tharp would soon start performing at the Cotton Club in 1938. And it was in 1938 that Tharp recorded her first album that included Rock Me, one of her biggest hits at the time. And her style was unique and iconic, so much so she was even featured for her rock and roll spiritual song in Billboard magazine at that time. And it was in that same year she performed her show at the Carnegie Hall for uh, From Spirituals to Swing Show, which was recorded and is considered one of the first rock and roll albums. So they said it's very like obvious it's not in a studio, but it's still at record recorded as one of the best and one of the first. Uh, and she's been one of the biggest influences uh, in the world of music, in, including influencing artists like Chuck Berry, who even made a statement saying his career was, quote, one long sister Rosetta Tharp impression, and also uh, influenced artists such as Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, and so many more. And she was finally inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018. It took forever. And her influence is still heavily seen today, and many would still call her one of the best guitarists to date, including me. Ooh, I love it. At age six. She mastered it at the age of six. Wow. Mm, that's impressive. That's, crazy. <laughs> no, that's like that's so wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Everybody on this list, incredibly impressive. Right. Now I definitely want to sit down, make a playlist of their songs <laughs> and just I feel like the blues really helps me get in a creative space. Yeah. So this is exciting. I'm excited to go check them out. And as you said, Samantha, this is by no means a definitive list. No. Um, <laughs> yes. Not at all. There's yes. so many on here that we could have gone through, and there's so many that I did leave out. I'm so sorry. Don't be upset. And I know there's so many today that we know are influential and have been influenced by these women. Uh, but of course, again, we wanted to look at the history and towards the beginning, some of the first names that we know, some of the styles that they began. Again, crediting the fact that it was the Black community that really has given us the basis of what we have as music. Like, there's no lie to that. Like, everything that we know honestly comes back to the fact that the Black community created it, and a lot of white people decided to steal it. And now we have to go back to being able to credit them, which is kind of like critical race theory. But oh, what? <laughs> I'm still angry about the hearings right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's fair. Oof. Oof. Well... If there's someone you think we should cover that we didn't, or if you want us to go more in depth on anybody that we talked about here, or any other topic suggestion you have on your mind, you can always contact us. We love hearing from you. Our email is Stephanie and MomStuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I've Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Kim Crawford invites you to savor amazing with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. Named in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list four times, every sip of Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc is filled with tropical fruit flavors like passion fruit and citrus to help you experience golden hour how you see fit. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more and find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. 
Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.